So um, this series called Hashtag 2020 Vision, uh, we started last Sunday, and today we are continuing as we talk about vision. I really don't want this to be just me communicating, um, this is where we're going. Um, I really hope that this is um, an exercise for all of us as a community. On that note, can we read the vision together? If you can pull that up on the screen, um, I'd like for us to... Yeah, I'd like for us to read this together. It is the same vision that we first presented in April of last year, 2018. And so we've been working, this has been our guiding document, we've been working with this for a year and a half, a good year and a half now. A little bit of it is tweaked. There are a few words, there. you won't see them, maybe not immediately, but they're in there. A few things that are tweaked because a vision is a, it's a living document. It's a working document. It's something that we grow into. And especially in the beginning of a church or any organization, you have this sense of where we're going. Um, but as we progress in that direction, we realize that we have to tweak one word here or there because the difference of that one word, insightful, formation, two for, in, with, that can change the trajectory. I think you understand this. And so while our vision is not something that you want to play around with and just change every year, that's not the case at all, I think it is good for us to revisit it, to fine-tune it, and especially to repeatedly talk about it. Good leaders of any church, any organization, any company, maybe even of a family, Good leaders will periodically restate the direction that we're going in. And this is important um, because I believe Woven has a strong vision. I believe a good vision should captivate and capture interest. Whenever I share that we're a community that is about desegregating Sunday, sanctifying Monday to Friday, I hear one of two things. On the one, thing I on the one hand, I hear that's, that's really awesome. It really captivates people. On the other hand, I hear people say that's coming true for Woven. Though we're a small congregation, um, I'm very hopeful for the 9 a.m. slot, actually. I think that will open a lot of doors. And people have also been saying Woven has really grown and changed, at least in complexion. And so um, a good vision, it captivates the imagination. It's something we can grow into. It course corrects from time to time. It sets the parameters and the limits. I can tell you that woven is not a one-stop-for-everything church. We're not a Walmart. We're not going to be a Walmart where on the way back from work, you need a little bit of everything. We don't have everything. We're not a one-stop-for-everything. We're more of a boutique church. We're more of a boutique where we do two, maybe three things really well. And I think it is good for us as a community to keep hitting those two, maybe three things really well for 2020. Amen? So what are those two, maybe three things? Let's look at the vision. Let's say this together. Woven exists to be a diverse church community woven together 
from and for the greater Houston metro area that is desegregating Sunday and sanctifying Monday to Friday through formational teaching, intentional discipleship, and holistic outreach. I think those three things, two or three things, are the things we want to hit, that we want to continue to do really well, being a boutique church. Holistic outreach, this is something that we need to get better at. And we've been, in the LT, we talked about this. This is why vision is important. And I shared about this. I said in our, board, in our LT meeting, should we continue to strive for holistic outreach? And they said, Pastor, that's in our vision. Yes, keep it. And I'm glad they reminded me because I was reminded. That's what vision does. Occasionally, even leaders get off the rails. Even leaders go off track. A vision sets the parameters. No, we are about the poor. Do you remember, remember we did a series on economics? And we talked about that. And we said, don't forget the poor. We have to do this. We have to come back. We have to get better at that. But the second thing is we're about intentional discipleship. You know, Tanya, when you set out, I don't know if you intended to be a discipler, but when you set out to have women gathered in your home, that was an intentional act. And it takes intentionality to continue that throughout the year. The noonday examine when we started that, with intentionality, we started that and we keep doing it. It takes stick to for things to really grow. Intentionality is important. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. But the third and last piece is formational teaching. And um, last week at annual meeting, somebody shared, uh, somebody named Aloino shared at annual meeting about how at Woven he feels a sense of respect and he feels appreciated as an adult. You know, the thing about this spirituality for adults, that we, that, that we are a place where, you know, when you're an adult, I mean, Peter, you're a young man, you're going to be an adult soon, and you will no longer be treated as a youth. And that's important, that's important, because what needs to happen is from youth to grown-up spirituality, you can't do the same, old, the same youth stuff anymore. Every summer, you go to summer camp, and you have skits, and you have, um, you know, people goofing off in the front, and worship is fun, and it's lively. But eventually, you get to a place when you come of age that you need to enter into a grown-up spirituality. Youth group spirituality will no longer suffice. It will no longer feed you. I mean, imagine if my son and my daughter are 25 years old, and they're sitting at my dinner table still, wearing bibs, and <laughs> like that. Here comes the airplane, and I still, <laughs> you know, and I still have to feed my grown children baby food. The point I'm trying to make, friends, is insightful teaching. No, that kind of missed the mark. Insightful teaching. It sounds like I'm still spoon feeding you insights. No. This is where we need some course correction in our vision. You cannot be pastor dependent on your feeding of the scripture. 
That takes us back to the 1500s when the priest would come up in the front and perform a sign at the Mass and speak in Latin and you didn't really get anything out of it. Friends, it's not a discovery of Scripture unless you are discovering it. And so it's not insightful teaching. It's formational teaching. It's teaching that's shaping you, not spoon-feeding you insights from the Bible, but teaching you how to read the Bible by yourself. Teaching you how to discover the riches. Showing you how to mine for gold in the Word of God. There's an element there, and I talked about this in Life Together in that series a good year ago. That element is freedom, human freedom, where a man or a woman, freely of their own will and their own volition, says, I want to look into the book of Mark, and I want to discover what it means for me today. This is how to read. If I tell you, well, you know, it says in the Greek, you know, and give you the Hebrew, and this is what the lexicons, and these are what the commentators say, that's not really half as fun as much as finding and discovering it for yourself. You see, the vision that I want to hone in on today is formational teaching. The purpose of teaching is not giving you more insight. The purpose of teaching is to form you as Christians to form you and to shape you as Christians. And what does it mean to be a formed Christian but to be someone who is able to feed himself or herself? That is what I'm hoping for 2020, that you will be less pastor-dependent and more able in groups, in groups on Friday morning, on Wednesday evening, at somebody's house at any time, in groups, without having to ask me for permission. I want this to be more free than ever. I mean, yes, you know, we coordinate. We will coordinate together. But really, I want you to feel free to start groups. And last Sunday, last Sunday, I talked about this. Chan, we talked about women. Women leaders like you. Women need to be empowered to lead in the church. Kathy, Women have to lead. You know, last Sunday I got a little kind of excited, a little heated up as we talked about Rowena Chu. I don't know how many of you looked that up and the whole Harvey Weinstein story and how she came out and used her voice despite now being sued by the most powerful man in show business. But she's speaking up. Women have to speak up. Women have to lead. Maria, you have to lead. You have to lead groups. Tracy, are there any other women here? Lead groups. And when you lead, this is how you read. I want to teach you today about reading. That's what I want to do. And so today, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And I'm going to use the book of Jonah as an example for how to read. And maybe we might even do a little practice session here. Um, In fact, why don't we dive right into that? Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 2, verse 10. And so, Ryan, if you can just pull pull that up on the screen, or actually it looks like it's Austin. If you can pull that up on the screen and just kind of cycle through these two verses. Don't show the larger section. Just show Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, 
and chapter 2, verse 10, and gently cycle through those two verses. And what we're going to do, friends, what we're going to do is a practice that I've taught here before. This is the practice of Bible meditation, or alternatively, it's called Lectio Divina. How many of you have heard of Lectio Divina, at least in passing? Raise your hand. Lectio Divina, divine reading, Bible meditation. All it is is sitting still in front of a text of Scripture. I will read it once, and after that, I'm going to pause. I'm going to read it twice, and I'll pause, and I'll read it a third time. And during that time, I'd like you, during those pauses, to just reflect on the Word. So this is the Word of the Lord. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Pause and reflect. Second time. Actually, we'll just camp on this verse. We'll hold off on chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Just meditate on the word of the Lord. For this third and last time, let's read it together aloud. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. A little over 20 years ago, I personally experienced the last great depression that I ever experienced in my entire life. I am a walking miracle. I remember at that point at 18, 19, maybe almost 20 years old, I had experienced depression enough times to be scared at that moment. Um, if I was diagnosed, I might have been bipolar. I don't know exactly what the diagnosis is, but it sure sounds like that. And I wondered, 
how could I continue to live? Um, and it's a great miracle that today, the last 20 years, I have not experienced any depression since. It truly is a miracle and a healing. But the story that I want to tell is when I experienced the last bout, when it was, you know, it started when I was about 19, 20. That last bout, I could not pray anymore. All of my prayers that I would pray to God, I don't know if you know this experience, it's like you pray and you try to talk to God about your problems and then your problems all of a sudden become bigger and then you kind of, everything seems like you're just stuck in your problem. And prayer actually made things worse. And it was at that time that I just couldn't pray anymore. I stopped praying. I stopped praying because the more I prayed, the worse I felt. And instead, I turned to Scripture. And it was about that season of my life, a man named David Ross. David Ross was one of the most influential missionaries to South Korea back in the day. And he taught me this technique of learning to just sit still, clear your mind, and read Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Did you know you could do that? Did you know that you could actually not say anything? You don't have to underline, just sit still in front of the Word? I believe that was one of the tools that actually healed me, that freed me from the grip of obsessive depression, habitual, addictive depression even. The technique, this tool of reflecting on Scripture, of Bible meditation. Let's talk about what's happening here in Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. By the way, if you look in your notes, you'll see that there's two headings, how to read. And hopefully today we can learn a little bit about how to read, how to do. Perhaps that gift that David Ross bestowed upon me 20 years ago, I can bestow upon you today. And that second heading, how to pray, I think we're going to hold off on that for next week because I can see that we're going to be talking about reading, learning how to read. So today we'll just talk about how to read, how to pray, hold off on that. But what do you see in this passage? In verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. What do you see? Now, just for the sake of format, I'm not going to ask you to feed back. But this is the kind of exercise that you engage in. This is the kind of way, this is how to read. We start off with one simple step. Observation. Observation. And so you observe. You look at the different things. I'm sure some of you may have noticed the three days and the three nights. Yes? And you've seen the connection there with Jesus in the tomb. Right? Three days and three nights. Some of you might have looked at this, the fact that the fish swallowed Jonah, and you wonder, how can there be a fish large enough? How can you survive in the stomach of a fish? I mean, biologically, is it possible? I, don't, I think I would drown, or you would suffocate. So that leads us to start asking, can we trust this text? Scientifically, how does this happen? And I'll tell you that that question is speculative. That's the kind of question that can lead us nowhere. 
move on, what else do you observe? Have you ever wrestled with God? Or you said, God, why? Did God cause this? Did God allow it? Has anybody ever wrestled with that question? Why did this happen to me? God, are you causing this? Or God, are you allowing this? That's a deep question. That's a good question. I can tell you what the wrong question is. What kind of a fish is this? Wrong question. Don't worry about that. There's people that they spend their entire life trying to scientifically prove what was originally not meant to be a scientific document. One of the biggest mistakes in reading Scripture is approaching Scripture with modern eyes, thinking the way we think today as modern people, postmodern people, from a scientific standpoint, from a historic standpoint, trying to prove something that was written at a time where they did not have the same methods of science nor the same standards of historicity. So you've got to read with ancient eyes. Jonah is not a story that's just thrown together. Every word means something. There is meaning. Meaning. One of the biggest compliments I received this week was from Bennett. I'm calling everybody out today. And he was underneath a vehicle. I love this. I love it when I can visit Bennett in his shop at his place of work. Talk about sanctifying Monday to Friday. And he was sharing with me from underneath a car as he was draining the oil from another car. And he was telling me about how he started going to church because he cared about Peter and about Lizette. Because he wanted them to have something good and solid. A good foundation. But eventually, sorry Peter, Dad started going to church because it made sense for him. It started out all about you. But eventually Dad began to recognize, Bennett began to see that I, there's meaning. There's meaning. That was the word he used. Friends, I don't bring meaning into your life. I hope you don't think that's the case. Scripture brings meaning to your life. All I do is maybe shine the light on it, play together with the Spirit to illumine. This is the doctrine of illumination. To help you to see that there's meaning here. You know what the great meaning in this passage is, friends? It's in that word, appointed. Appointed. That word appointed appears four times in the book of Jonah. It'll appear three more times in chapter 4 where God appoints a worm, where God appoints a plant, and God appoints a wind. And if you're like, what's that about? You're just going to have to read it on your own. That's the point. I'm teaching you how to read. You've got to see that the Bible is not... Some, some scholars, some, some scholars, they think the Bible is just kind of haphazard and people who didn't know what they were doing threw a bunch of words together. The Bible is a work, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a masterpiece of artistry. If I could just share with you, but that's not the point. You have to discover it for yourself that the words in Jonah are carefully placed. In chapter 1 alone, all the times God says, Rise up, rise up, rise up. And Jonah goes down, goes down, goes down. He's running away. What do you do when you're depressed, like me 20 years ago? You just want to go hide. You don't want to wake up. You don't want to go to, you just want to go down. But God says, get up, get up, get up. Rise up. 
right? And then we see God appointing, appointing, appointing. There's the answer to your question, friends. Why does God, why does God do this? Because from time to time, God will appoint something to rescue you. God will appoint something to frustrate you. God will appoint something to give you a little bit of shade. But God will appoint something to bring that down, to test you, to strengthen you. So I don't know if God causes things or if God allows things, but I do know that God appoints things. There are special appointments in your life. There are appointments, divine appointments. How many of you have heard that, a divine appointment? This is where the word comes from. That maybe it was a divine appointment that five years ago I ended up being roommates with Harry Hoagland at summer camp. And now I know all of your habits. I know you quite well. If you want to reward Harry Hoagland, just get um, gummy worms. He likes gummy worms, the, the, salt, the, the uh, sour kind from, what is it called again? I can see the package. Trolley. He likes trolley gummy worms. A divine appointment that God sets up appointments not to harm you, not to hurt you. Sometimes it feels like that, but ultimately for your benefit. For your benefit. Now, I've just basically explained that to you. I've just explained that to you, but friends, you don't need to be a student of the Bible, a perfect scholar. You just need to be observant. That's it, observant. Is that in your notes? Is that in your notes in the, under the first heading, observation number one? Yes? So the first thing in reading Scripture, silence the crazy thoughts. Silence the depressing thoughts. Don't, don't think about that. Right? How many of you are Star Wars fanatics? Right? Remember Qui-Gon Jinn, what he says. What he says to his Padawan. He says, your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. If you focus on the negative, that's going to be the predominant narrative. If you focus on the negative, that's going to be the predominant narrative. But if you focus on gratitude, if you focus on the, on the good. So don't focus on the depressing thoughts. Don't focus on the darkness. Just focus on the scripture. Learn to sit still. Observation is the first step. Observation. The second step is interpretation. And the way to do this, this is something that I almost, um, I can't teach it to you. This has to be practiced. But there are two people in this room, at least, who know how to do this. Right, Andrew? Raymond? Because this is the, invar- the, this is the inter-varsity method. Inductive Bible study. Inductive Bible study, Lectio Divina, Bible meditation, they are all the same thing. The difference with the inductive method, however, now listen carefully, because some of you, in Jesus' name, are going to launch out and start your own groups. You're going to start things. Whether it's a workplace Bible study, what about that? Even if it's not directly attached to woven, what if you started just, you said, we have, a, we have a, a break, a coffee break. I'm wondering if a couple of friends would like to just sit around a table together and for 30 minutes just go through verse by verse the book of Mark. 
the Gospel of Luke. And in those groups, it's so simple. All you do is you spend five to ten minutes, maybe more, in observation. Now there's techniques, and Raymond can teach you those techniques. There's techniques where you circle or you get markers, etc. But you just observe, that's it. But the second step, when you interpret, this is the democratic method. And you say, what do you see? And people say, I see a fish. I see stomach. How can you survive? I see the word appointed. I see the Lord is in all capital letters. What does that mean? I see repeated words, three, three. I see these things. And you start to share it. That's what you do. And as you start to share it, you just discuss it. And somebody's going to have some kind of crazy crackpot theory. And they're going to say, I think, I, think, um, I think the great fish must have been a whale because scientists, and you know what, that's fine. That's fine. The whole purpose of the inductive method is to allow people who are at different points in their journey, even if they're not yet Christians, to look at Scripture. I mean, Blake, if I can put you on the spot... I know that when you started, in some ways, we were doing the inductive method through the Gospel of Mark. We also did a little bit of it through Genesis. Um, anything else? I think we did some through Ephesians. And I know that in your own life, you've evolved in your faith journey. I don't want to say much more than that. But I know that at first, as you came in front of the text, you had questions. Maybe even doubts. And maybe you still do. Maybe I do. Maybe we all do. But the text can handle those questions. So this second step of interpretation, friends, it's going around and feeling free to ask the crazy questions. How could you survive in the stomach of a fish? And if you can't possibly scientifically survive in the stomach of a fish, how is this passage true? And that's okay, because people are going to ask for an interpretation. You're going to make attempts at an interpretation. But at the end, there's a third step. And that third step is not, friends, listen, it's not, let's bring the pastor in and give us the right interpretation. It's not. In fact, you could get stuck in interpretation wars. I've seen it. I've seen it here at Kingdom City, even. Friends, the inductive method, Kingdom City needs the inductive method. They need a good approach to Bible study that is democratic, that is not pastor or personality-centric, and that is faithful to the text, that is observation-based, but in the end, this is the third step, application-based. Because you can walk around in circles endlessly saying, how can you survive in the stomach of the fish? But in the end, that's not going to get you anywhere. You have to move to application. So friends, what's the first step? I'm testing you now. What's the first piece? Out loud, please. Observe. What's the second piece? Interpret. Don't be afraid to interpret. But the third piece, don't get stuck at interpretation. Scripture is nothing if it's not applied. And what you do then in this third step is you go around and say, how am I going to apply this today? And watch 
Watch the Scripture come alive. Watch somebody who's never been a Christian before, watch somebody who's never read the Bible in their life, say, I think I need to wait for three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Because if I try to climb out of the mouth of the fish, I will drown. You hear that? It's not time yet. I want to climb out, but if I climb out prematurely while I'm still at the bottom of the ocean and the fish is swimming around trying to decide, can I, can I digest this guy? Can I digest this guy? You try to climb out prematurely. Jesus tries to climb out prematurely. You will drown. And listen to the non-Christian walk away with a profound application. Wait for three more days before I make that rash move and see the Word of God come alive. Step one. Step one. Say it because when you say it, you remember it. All together, step one. Step two. And step three. Apply it. Apply it. Friends, this is the inductive method. And I, in 2020, and I'm rounding, rounding, the third base, like Altuve right now. I am so, so grateful that the game did not go into extra innings last night. Andy, are you still New York uh, pinstripes true, true blue? Man, you got to make the change, Andy. You and I have to have a pastoral talk. You got to make a change, man. I was loyal to the Yankees for a long time, but... Uh, you know, man, that was, that was amazing last night. you got to admit, it was a great series. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I was slamming on my, um, I was slamming, like, on my couch thing, and my dog was barking at me, and it was crazy. Oh, I lost my place. My point, 2020 vision, my point is this. Dang it. <laughs> I know. That's, that's, that's where I got stuck in the uh, baseball analogy. My, the point, yeah, the point I'm trying to make, you know, as we talk about vision, you know, the title of today's sermon is Formational Teaching, but what I'm really trying to convey through this vision series are a couple of key things that are going to make you less dependent on me. And, and I'm saying this not because, you know, I, you know, I'm going somewhere or I'm not saying this because I'm saying it because a healthy church needs to start having stuff happen up, happen by itself. Let me tell you one last story. Okay, one last story. Uh, in the 1950s, in the 1950s, South America, there were parts of South America where there were Christians, actually there were Catholics, but there were Christians but these places were so far removed, these parts of South America, they were in the country, that there were no priests, no pastors that were sent to be there. And being the Catholic Church, they had no one to administer the sacrament, and so they wondered, could we even gather as Christians? But they were so hungry to gather. They were so hungry for fellowship. 
And even if the priest couldn't come and administer the sacrament, they were so hungry to break bread together and to talk about Scripture together and to hold each other accountable and to pray and to encourage one another. And they started these things called base ecclesial communities. And they've been studied by theologians and ecclesiologists. And these base ecclesial communities in Latin America, in South America, were groups of Christians without priests or pastors present who were starting to do things, starting to fire their souls with the Word of God. They were Christians who found life in groups together on their own, even before, long before, priests showed up. And so it's important and it's vital that number one, I talked about this last Sunday, that women lead groups. Because these base ecclesial communities were strongly female-led. Not only that, when you go back into church history, many of the church movements that grew, that revived, that spontaneously came back to life were led by women. That's why I keep saying women must lead. Start stuff. Do stuff. But secondly, secondly, these communities, they had a, an approach to Scripture. They had their own, it's called a hermeneutic. They had a way to read Scripture together. Woven, you, you need to have a way to read Scripture together apart from me. You need to be able to read Scripture in groups and know you don't need a Greek or Hebrew expert to interpret it. You shouldn't be afraid to interpret it. You need in groups to crack the Bible open. Let me say that. You need in groups to crack the Bible open. And don't be afraid of interpretations that go left and right, but apply. Make sure you apply. So what I'm saying is, yes, women must lead groups. And secondly, you must have you must have an interpretive method. And I hope I've given you an approach to Scripture today. I hope I've given you a technique that is tried and true, tried, tested, and true. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, you guys remember Pete Aldrich, right? He can tell you all about it. They build their entire approach to campus ministry using the inductive method. Interpretation, I'm sorry, observation, interpretation, and application. And if you throw in a meal, you've got a party. Or if you do it on your lunch break or on your whatever, you know, just do it. If it's not with woven people, that's fine. Crack open the scripture. This is my gift to you today. I'm not telling you what scripture says. I'm teaching you how to find it for yourself. Can you receive it? You got to do this, not me.